what name could contain such a glory? For he was mighty God as the universe gasped into being. For this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting father, our prince of peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the great I am. We bow to the name that holds every other in its matchless worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? Hey, two more weeks, man, before we walk across the atrium and head into our new auditorium. I'm so excited. I hope you were excited. Some of you are going to have to figure out what to do with 45 minutes of your morning because... Like you're waiting to get to church at 8 o'clock. So feel free to come at 8 o'clock. Will our coffee shop be open at 8 o'clock on December 19th? It should be. So like come on, grab a cup of coffee. We'll at least have drip. Like we're bringing coffee back on December 19th. So we'll have coffee. We'll have couches. Just come and hang out. A few housekeeping items before we dig into this new series today. So you heard Pastor Ryan say new service times in two weeks. 8.45 and 10.30 a.m., you'll want to arrive a little early, and the way you're going to get in the church is going to change a little bit. The only three doors you'll be able to enter, all of the doors you've probably entered for the last five years of this church are going to now be in secure children's area. So the only way for you to get into the church are going to be the two big entries at the front or back or on the northeast corner. That's where adults will be permitted. All of this regular building that we've been coming in and out of will be locked up. So just figure out where you park, figure out where you walk in, or you might have to take a really long walk around the building. So that's December 19th. Before we kick into that, we're going to have our building dedication on December 15th. We want you to be a part of this. They've asked me to announce because I've not said it yet. We will have very... Very limited child care that night if you need it for children under the age of five. It's our goal that all of our staff and all of our volunteers will be able to come to the dedication service. We got kids from our student ministry. We've got children's workers from other churches in the area coming in to help. If, there, if you cannot find child care and you cannot come unless you have child care, we have very limited child care. You can RSVP if we have room. We'll do our very, very best. Um, but I hope you come this night. Come early. Doors, doors will open at 630. And I think it will probably be the greatest service that we have in 2021 as we hear from Pastor Daniel Floyd. Our worship team has all kinds of amazing stuff planned for us. It's going to be a really, really Good night. John chapter 1 is where we are this month in December. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, the first chapter of John. Here's our goal this month, what we're calling Christmas at Journey. Our goal is to understand Jesus more clearly as the God who came down. Turn to someone and say, God came down. That's what Christmas means, that God came down. And we're going to study in John chapter 1 the way that John described to us God coming down. As I met with my creative team and they they said, Christian, like, is there a picture in your head of what this series says that can be seen in art? I basically said, we are teaching start of the cradle, like start of the cradle. We are teaching from heaven to earth. Like the goal of this series, John is going to tell us in John chapter one, verses one through 14. We're only going to study 14 verses for four weeks that God came down. The picture of John chapter one is heaven to earth. God came down. So the big idea of today, and we'll walk through this the next three weeks, our spiritual and eternal connection to God are impossible without the incarnation. Somebody say incarnation. 
When I told our team about this series, I said, should we call the series Incarnation instead of like Christmas at Journey? Should we call it Incarnation? Someone said, like the flower? And I said, no, oh, not Carnation, Incarnation. They said, like the dried breakfast food. And I said, you know what? Let's just call it Christmas at Journey. And like, I'll, I'll teach it. Um, I'll kind of teach it when we get there. We want to learn today about the spiritual and eternal connection that we have with God that are only possible because of the incarnation, which you're going to learn through this message means that um, God put on flesh. That's what that word means, that God put on flesh. Before we read the first 14 verses of John chapter 1, we're going to stop and pray and ask God to speak to our hearts today. So would you bow your heads with me? Take a deep breath and just settle your soul into this moment. And two prayers. A prayer asking God to clear your heart of all the clutter that may be setting on it from this week, this past month, this past year, and then ask God to speak to you. God, that's our prayer that you would clear our hearts of anything that could distract us spiritually from seeing Jesus today as the God who came down and that you'd speak to us. Thank you that Christmas means God came down. So that one day we could go up if we believe in and receive and follow Jesus. That's our prayer. And we pray today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. John chapter 1, kind of a difficult 14 verses to follow. So kind of plug in with me. It doesn't read real easy, but it is powerful. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So a lot to unpack in these 14 verses. Every Jesus follower should know a little bit about the biographies of Jesus. And you ought to, at a minimum, understand these things. Four men wrote stories about the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call these books the Gospels because they are the good news of Jesus and his ministry. Matthew was written to Orthodox Jews to reveal Jesus as the promised Messiah of the Hebrew Scriptures. So Matthew will quote the Old Testament more than Mark, Luke, and John combined. He is writing to say... The, the guy, the 39 books of the Hebrew Bible has been talking about is here. His name is Jesus. Let me introduce him to you. Mark was written to Roman Gentiles to reveal Jesus as God's servant to the world. The Romans were a group of people who believed that they were supposed to serve the gods. So Mark presented through the mouthpiece of the apostle Peter hearing his message over and over again. No, no, no. God served us. 
through a man named Jesus. Luke wrote his book very specifically to second generation Jesus people to verify the claims of Jesus' supernatural and spirit-filled humanity. So Luke will use the phrase, the spirit moved and spirit-filled and Holy Spirit more than Matthew and John and Mark combined because he was writing in the second generation of the church. Luke also starts his book by saying this, I heard about Jesus I didn't know if it was true, so I went to Israel to talk to people to make sure what I heard actually happened. And I can tell you, after doing all my interviews, this really happened. He wrote his book to verify to people who could never meet Jesus because they were in the second generation church that it had really happened. And then John was written to third generation Jesus people 50 years or more after Jesus died to remind them of the deity of Jesus so that by believing in him, they might be saved. So every Christian should understand as they read the stories of Jesus, who wrote them and what they were trying to accomplish. John is unique among these four books because 75% of the content of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is similar. They are called the synoptic gospels. We get the word synonym from that word. They have the exact same content. As a matter of fact, 98% of Mark is found in the book of Matthew 88% of Mark is found in the book of Luke. Probably Matthew and Luke both borrowed heavily from the stories in Mark to complete their books that they wrote to their people. However, John is unique. And 90% of what we find in John is not written anywhere else in the world. You say, why is that? Because he wrote probably a generation after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He wrote 50 years, two generations after Jesus had come and been crucified and buried and resurrected. And John wanted to finish what had been left out very specifically by reminding people that Jesus was God. So John is filled with stories and statements in scripture that help us understand Jesus is God. And then it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people as God. In January, we'll we'll study these encounters in the book of John. And we'll talk about how maybe Jesus really is the answer to everything. We'll see Jesus have encounters with people who have tried everything else but him, and they come to him saying, could you be the answer to my problem? In December, we're going to talk about Jesus as God, Jesus deity. And we're going to do that in verses 1 through 14 by studying three things, the word of God, the light of God, and the dwelling of God. John is going to say, here's how you understand Jesus as God. He was the word, he is the light, he is the dwelling of God. We'll take three weeks to unpack these three things. Today's just going to be part one. We're going to look at Jesus as the word. John says Jesus was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's interesting how John begins his book, especially for those of you who have studied scripture a little bit in your life. Because John says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. Interesting start to a story about Jesus. As a matter of fact, they tell people when you become a new Christian, the first book of the Bible you should read is John. And I always tell people, I agree if you start at John chapter 2, because if these are the first five verses of the Bible that you ever read, you might as well start in Leviticus. Like, this sounds like a, a word puzzle. It's like, what does all this even mean? For those of us who have studied Scripture a little bit, we see immediately that John is replicating Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1. He literally starts his book with the exact same three words as the book of Genesis. In the beginning. In the beginning. 
God created all things were made that have been made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness hovered over the deep and God spoke into it, let there be light. And by the end of the chapter, we had mankind. Like anybody who's a student of scripture would see John's summary and explanation of Genesis chapter one in the first five verses of his Bible. He's basically saying, look, there was a story of ancient days that kind of help people understand where the world came from. He said, I want to go back to that day and say, even on that day, it was all about Jesus. So John paints this beautiful picture, like he's weaving together, like you would weave together a painting or maybe a rug that you were putting together, history in the beginning, theology, he's teaching us about God, anthropology, he's telling us where mankind came from, salvation, there was darkness, but light came, like John is just giving a summary of everything that's happened in the world that began with Jesus and is culminating in Jesus. Genesis 1 were the origins of the world, here's how it all came about. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses was on a mountain with God and God was telling Moses to lead his people to his promised land. And Moses said, we don't understand why you're doing all this. You're going to have to help us a little with the backstory." And many scholars believe that on that 40-day period of time on the mountain with God, God told Moses, get your pen out and start writing in the beginning. And he told the story of Genesis as we have it in our Bible. Let me, under, let, me, let me help you understand why the world is here and why you are here. So Genesis chapter 1 is the origins of the world. John chapter 1 are the origins of life. John says, let me introduce you not to how the world began, but to how life began. Jesus would be the one who gives life. John didn't introduce Jesus as just the creator of the world, although he did say he is the creator of the world. He introduced Jesus as the creator of life. The word beginning, if you still have your Bible open, can translate a couple different words from the Greek language into the English. One of those words is origin, one is source, one is ruler, one is authority. Basically, that word carries two things. Either Jesus created it or Jesus runs it or both. That's what it means in the beginning. That either Jesus created it or he rules it or both. And John says both. He created it to rule it. And when you know him, you know life because in Jesus is life. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. So the story of Genesis is not just the story of the world. It's the story of God in the world. It's not just the story of humanity. It's the story of God in humanity. It's the story of light into darkness. It's the story of life into death. Literally, John says in Genesis, God says, here's what the world looked like. And then I showed up and here's what it looks like now. And here's what humanity looked like, a body of dust laying in the dirt. And now here's what it looks like after I showed up. So it's not the story of Genesis, it's the story of life in Genesis. A world and a world with God, totally different. Humanity and humanity with God, totally different. Jesus is the one who makes all of that happen. So John, right off the bat, is saying Jesus is the key. He is the key to everything in life. He's the one who opens the eyes of everything created to the one who created them, to the creator. So where was John? Who was he writing to? What was he writing about? Many scholars think late AD 80s or 90, 50 to 60 years after Jesus has been crucified. He's pastoring a church in western Turkey in a city called Ephesus, what is now uh, modern-day Turkey. 
It was filled with a group of people who were either Greek or Roman in their culture because the Roman Empire had conquered the Greek Empire, but many Greeks had kind of migrated into where Turkey was. And it was filled with Jewish people who had been kind of kicked out of all the cities of the Roman Empire in Italy about 25 years later. So John is pastoring this church started by the Apostle Paul, later pastored by Timothy, now pastored by John. Many people think Jesus' mother Mary lived in Ephesus and maybe led the women's ministry, at least a Bible study, or told her story in this church for generations before she died. And John is now telling his people, his congregation, this mix of kind of Greek, Roman, Jewish people, Jesus is the answer. And he knows they see life through the lens of different worldviews, but he said there is something in your worldview where Jesus is the answer. And I'm going to show you how the thing you've been looking for finds its answer in Jesus. And he used a word for word that helps us understand the word of God. Let me say it again because I want you to grasp the word today. John uses a word for word that helps us understand the word of God. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm talking about the English word word that is the Greek word logos or logos, logos. The word John uses for word is lagos. In the beginning was lagos. You say, what is lagos? Well, it depends who you were. Depends who you were and it depends what your worldview was. Because to the Greeks, this concept of lagos was the abstract yet undeniable guiding order and principle of the universe. We get the English word logic from it. Lagos was the thing that made everything else make sense. Lagos was the undeniable thing that everyone should see. We live in a world today that has logos as an undeniable, unwritten, abstract principle. We all believe there is a thing that should be guiding. I think really COVID has exposed this in our culture. And let me show you how COVID has exposed this underlying abstract idea of, no, the universe says there is a right and a wrong. If we just look at the vaccine and the masks, It's not enough for someone to get the vaccine and wear a mask. For them, they believe it's wrong not to not get the vaccine or not wear a mask. And for people who don't want to wear a mask and who don't want to get the vaccine, they not only think that's a decision for them, they think no one in the world should have to get the vaccine or should be forced to wear a mask. They not only believe that they are right, they believe there is a right and a wrong side to the issue. That is the Greek term for lagos. There is a right and a wrong side to the issue. Now, we're not sure on all of those, and we don't know who gets to decide, but there was this underlying Greek philosophy that if you could just talk long enough about the issues, everyone would agree that there were underlying principles that everyone should live by. Not just them, but there were principles everyone should live by. That is lagos. My eyes tell me as I look at the world There is a right, there is a wrong, not just for me, for everyone. The world would work better if we all agreed on these things. That's the Greek logos. For the Jews, the word was literally revelation. The word was actually God speaking the meaning of life, the revelation of God and all of his promises. So God spoke creation. God said, let there be light. To the Jews, it was the spoken word of God that birthed everything. God spoke promises. God spoke covenants. God spoke on Sinai, the Ten Commandments. God told you what the purpose of the universe was. So the Greeks said, it's there. We just got to figure it out. 
The Jews said it's there because God told us everything he wanted to know. Both of them knew that there was this guiding principle to the universe that everyone should be aware of. And John said, guess what? You're both right. And the answer to what you're both looking for is Jesus. There is a very clear, revealed, guiding principle to the universe. And you Greeks have been looking for it in nature, but his name is Jesus. And you Jews have been looking for it in your scripture, but his name is Jesus. You're both right in looking for something bigger than this place. And the answer to both of your problems is Jesus. In America today, we see like the Greeks. We see a sunrise or a sunset, and we just know in our spirit there's, there's something bigger than the universe guiding this thing. We see it. We're also like the Jews in that we hear it. We believe in moral authority. And even though we don't all agree with it all the times, we believe it should be there, and we believe it would be better if it was there, and we believed it would be best if we got to decide it. That's just kind of how we, how we work because we're Americans. But the, regardless of what you see and how you believe, the answer is how does Jesus fit into that equation? Because John said the things you see and the things you believe, ultimately when Jesus is at the center of those life is at the center of that because Jesus is the key that unlocks the mind of the Greeks, unlocks the heart of the Jews. And in John chapter one, just in verses one through five, Jesus is going to be presented as four things that are a pretty big deal spiritually. He's going to be presented as eternal in the beginning. He was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The Greek phrase there is prostone theon. It literally means face-to-face or a substance that can't be divided. So Jesus being face-to-face with God meant Jesus was a part of God. In the beginning was the word. He's eternal, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God. He's deity. And then that light came to the darkness. He was with mankind. Jesus might be more than this. He can never be less than this if you are an orthodox follower of Jesus. Because if he's less than this, then John is a liar. And if John is a liar, then probably most of the story of Jesus is not true. So John says Jesus is eternal. Jesus is with God. Jesus is God. Jesus is with mankind. The historical fight of the church over the last 2,000 years is kind of this thought. Jesus is a lot, but he's not God. And when you get to that point, you get to a dangerous place because Jesus is a role model, but he's not our master. And Jesus gives tremendous insight, but he has no authority. And Jesus might even be a savior, but he's definitely not Lord. You see what happens when Jesus is less than God. He can be a lot of things, but not the most important thing in your life, which is your savior and your Lord. You say, how can Jesus be both God and man? That's the question. How can Jesus be both God and man? The answer in the doctrine is called the incarnation. It's a Latin phrase which means to be made into flesh. It means incarno, literally to put on flesh. It is the doctrine of God becoming a man. If we were to describe it theologically, we would say the incarnation is a historic Christian doctrine that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten before all the ages, which means is eternal, And of one substance with the Father, which means he is God, was made a human. Flesh through the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, making him truly God and truly human, possessing two natures which are not confused, changed, divided, or or separated. You say, Christian, that sounds really confusing. I I was hoping you would say that because it is confusing. 
It's actually, be, it's like beyond, oh, that makes sense. Charles Ryrie, one of the great theologians of our day, says this concept of the hypostatic or one-person union of the divine and human natures in one person is probably one of the most difficult concepts to comprehend in theology. Not one of us has ever seen deity except as the scriptures reveal God, and not one of us has ever seen perfect humanity except as the scriptures reveal pre-fallen Adam, Adam before sin, and our Lord. To try to relate these two concepts to the person of Christ adds complexities to ideas that in themselves are difficult to comprehend. Like Ryrie says, this is something we are to believe without ever really understanding. For nearly 600 years, the church would try to come up with the paragraph on the incarnation that I gave you because it was just too big of a concept to understand. Starting in the second century, there was a heresy in the church called docetism, which meant Jesus was either God or man or one for a little bit and one for a little bit, but never both at the same time. And ending with the third council of Constantinople in nearly 700 AD, it took them all that time to try to figure out how do we say Jesus was both God and man. That paragraph I gave you, it took them 700 years to write that paragraph. Because Christians were trying to say, how do we say that Jesus was both God and man? Here's what I want you to know today as I unpack this doctrine that you cannot understand if you don't believe it by faith. As Jesus followers, we've been told to believe the work of the incarnation And we've been told why it's important to our faith walk. We'll spend the rest of our message talking about that. We've been told to believe it, and we've been told why it's really important. At the exact same time, I think letter B is important. We've not been told that we have to understand it or that it will make sense to us. So we acknowledge today we're studying something that we can't prove or even really explain, but that we are told to believe because of what we need to receive. Let me say it again. So we're going to learn something today that we're not going to understand or ever be able to explain, but we've been told to believe it because we need to receive it. We'll actually work our way backwards through that process by the end of the message and say, even though this is hard to believe, the easier question is this, is it necessary to receive? And when we see what God coming in the flesh makes available to us, we'll say, man, that is really hard to believe. But if that's what he's offering, that is necessary to receive. So I guess by faith, I'm going to have to lean into it. And this is the way, by the way, that the Bible works. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to just flip quickly to Isaiah chapter 55. If not, the scripture will be on the screen. But this is, this is one of those sections of scripture that every Christian should have circled in their Bible. Because it's a section of scripture that says God's going to ask you to believe things that are, that are too hard to believe. And God is going to promise you things that you can never explain or understand. Isaiah 55 is one of those chapters that every Christian should turn to because at some point, someone's going to ask you a faith question and the only answer is going to be Isaiah 55. You know what? I don't know how to answer that question. Let me tell you why I believe what I believe. I'll read Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1 and then I'll jump down to verse 8 through 12. And we'll talk a little bit about how God asks us to believe things that are hard to understand. Isaiah in Isaiah 55 says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money... Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money or without cost. How do you buy things without money? Skip down to verse 8. God says, you don't have to understand it. You just have to receive it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty 
but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You'll go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You say, how are we going to receive things that we cannot understand? Let's put it in Isaiah's phrase. How are we going to buy things that we can't afford? We're just going to trust God to receive them. That's what Isaiah 55 is saying. God's going God's to promise you some things and give you some things that in human understanding don't make sense, but that's because he's God and we're humans. I heard someone say for humans to grasp God, it would be more possible for your dog to do your algebra homework than for humans to really understand the problems of theology. Like God says, listen, I'm God, you're not. You're not going to understand everything. But I'm telling you, you can receive great things. Come and buy stuff. Say, I don't have any money. You don't have to have any money. Just trust me. Come to me and I will send you out in joy and I will send you out in peace. You got to trust me. Trust is hard, but it's necessary for the life of a Jesus follower. I love how Deuteronomy 29, 29 points it. This is one of my other favorite verses when people ask me questions that I can't explain to them. God told the people of Israel, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may follow the words of this law. What does that mean? God said, there's going to be some things in life that I haven't told you the answers to yet. Trust me. The things I've told you, follow and teach your kids to follow. Things I haven't told you, you're just going to have to trust me. You say, but God, that is really, really hard. This week in our reflection questions on Tuesday and Wednesday, we kind of live a little bit in the tension of Deuteronomy 29, 29. What are some of the secret areas of life where your faith is being stretched to simply trust God because there's no black and white answers in Scripture right now? Pastor Ryan asked me that on the podcast this week, and I said, I'm struggling with what happened in Michigan. I'm struggling with a 15-year-old kid walking into school and killing four of his classmates and wounding eight others. I'm struggling with what the plan of God is in all this. It's a secret thing. God hasn't told me why yet or how or why he didn't stop it. It's a, it's a secret thing that is stretching my faith. I think Wednesday's question is just as appropriate. What are some of the revealed areas of life where God's been very clear in Scripture, but where you've been struggling to be obedient? Or teach your children what the scripture says because you're afraid you're going to mess up your kids if you tell them who God is and what God really says. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a powerful verse. There's going to be things you never understand. You have to trust God. There's going to be things that are very clear. You have to obey God. Most Christians struggle to do both. They struggle to trust in the areas they don't understand. They struggle to obey in the areas that are very, very clear. And what Jesus does in becoming man is he shows us how to live the way God wants us to live. So today we're going to present the promises, the prophecy, and the truth of the incarnation. We're going to present what it does for us, and then we're going to back our way into it and say, do we need, do we need that? Do I need that? Do you need that? Is Jesus' people, is that something that is necessary to us? So prophet Isaiah kicks off kind of the prophecy of the incarnation. He tells us that God is going to become a man. And that he would begin that journey as a baby. Tells us it in two very specific places. Isaiah 9, 6. Some of you put these on your Christmas card because you Google Christmas card Bible verses. And this is one of them that pops up. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This term Mighty God is El Gabor. It means God the hero. That's what it means in Hebrew. He'll be called God the hero. What makes God a hero? That he became a man. That's what makes God our hero, that he became a man. And he took our sins on the cross and the punishment for him, and he gave us eternal life. What makes God El Gabor, God the hero, that he became a man? What kind of man? He started as a, a child. 
who was born. Isaiah 7, 14 is probably another one of these verses you've thrown somewhere at Christmas. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son. He'll call him Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. A baby will be born who is God with us. Now listen, the prophecy is very, very clear. The promises are very, very clear. And the New Testament says the events that happened were very, very clear. So we really can't today question, did God say it? Did God promise it? Did the prophets prophesy it? Did anyone say that it happened? All of those things are undeniable. It was prophesied. It was promised. Historians tell us that there are people who said it happened. The question is not were those things promised, prophesied, and did they happen? The question is do we believe it? Because it was prophesied, it was promised, and people said that it happened. The choice is do we believe it? And maybe the better question is, well, do we need to believe it? What is it, if true, what does the incarnation do for us? That's the final question I want to try to answer today. Why did Jesus have to come down? Why did he have to come in the flesh? Scripture will tie the birth, the human birth of Jesus back to seven things spiritually that happened because Jesus came down. First, to reveal God to us. I'll go through them and then I'll walk back through them. Second, to provide an example for us. Third, to provide an effective sacrifice for sin, to fulfill the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants, to destroy the works of the devil, to be a sympathetic high priest, to be a qualified judge. Say, what what does this mean? Let's, Let's just ask these questions one at a time as something we need to receive rather than something that's easy to believe. Question, do we need someone to reveal God to us? The answer is yes. If you search through history, you see people trying to figure out who God is, what God wants, how to be one with God. There's hardly an ancient civilization in the world who's not searching for God. The atheism thing that we kind of walk through now in the 21st century, we made that up. Go study the hieroglyphics in the caves of the first civilizations. The entire world until about the last hundred years has said there's got to be a God. There's got to be reason. Jesus said, I've come to show you who he is. Number two, to provide an example for us. Would we know how to live in a way that pleased God if Jesus didn't tell us? And would we believe it was possible if Jesus didn't show us? We need a guy like Jesus to help us understand how to live in a way that's pleasing to God. We need, number three, an effective sacrifice for sin because if the Judeo-Christian God of the Old Testament is to be believed, he says that our sacrifice must be perfect. No blemishes whatsoever. And if you and I think of the best people in our life that we know, even the ones that look a lot like Jesus, we would say there's probably a spot or a blemish somewhere which would not allow them to be our substitute before God. But Jesus said he could do that. To fulfill the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants, what does this mean? It means he had to be Jewish. God said, I'm going to bless the entire world through the nation of people that's coming from you. And they had to have the ability to be a king. They had to be related to the line of David. So when Matthew opens his book and says, Joseph got called down to Bethlehem because he was of the line and the lineage in the family of David. It's like light bulb goes on for the Jewish people because the savior of the world has to be related to David. So maybe this guy could be him. He's not only got to be a Jewish person, but he's got to be a Jewish king. He's got to be able to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 said the world's been destroyed by sin. I think all of us would agree with that. I don't know that we can watch an hour of network television without believing the world has been destroyed by sin. So Jesus has been revealed to save it. To be a sympathetic high priest, 
Scripture says that we need someone who's been like us and in our shoes to understand us, to talk to God about us. And I don't know about you, but it's been nice in the last two years walking through these difficult times to talk to other pastors in the area because they understand. They're going through the exact same thing. And some of you have walked through situations that the only thing that comforted your heart is you found a sympathetic person who'd gone through the exact same thing and it lets you know that you could make it. Jesus was our sympathetic high priest and he is the only one qualified to judge us. You ask me if they put a, a, a movie up of the play of your life from start to finish and you had one person to be in charge at the end of it of saying whether or not God could accept you, would you want me to be the judge or would you want Jesus to watch the whole thing? And then to judge based on his grace and his mercy. See, the incarnation is, is hard to believe. God becoming a man is hard to believe. That's not the question. The question is, is it necessary to receive? And we say, if I'm going to connect to God, live for God, one day be with God, I think I need these seven things. And scripture would say we receive those because of the incarnation. The other question is, what do we do with this? If this is true... What do, I, what do I do with this to begin to apply it to my life? Well, the answer is believe, uh, receive, and follow. If, if you need to receive this, you say, I th- you know, that's hard to believe, but I need it. So if Jesus says he'll do that for me, I'll take it. What do I do? Believe, receive, and follow. And what's interesting is, is the way Scripture presents some of the steps of following Jesus Because in the incarnation, God put on flesh so he could become a man. And did you know God asked us to have kind of a reverse incarnation? Do you know that God says, here's how Jesus identified with you. He became a man. Do you know that God then asked you to identify with Jesus? And the way he asked you to do that publicly is by getting baptized? Like, did you know God says, here's how Jesus is going to identify with you. He's going to put on flesh and become a man. And now that you are a follower of Jesus, here's how I want you to identify with him. I want you to get baptized. So part of what we ask ourselves today, if we believe, receive, and follow is, okay, Jesus identified with me. Will I identify with him? Understanding that he put on flesh so that he could become like me, am I now willing to get baptized so that I can tell the world that I have become like him? What an incredible kids event just a couple weeks ago in front of the cross and Um, the new building where we had 10 kids who were baptized, Um, who kids who have received Jesus, kids who have um, gone to a discipleship class and kids who have realized that Jesus came so you could know who God is. And now that you're a follower of Jesus, one of the first things he asks you to do to identify with him is to get baptized. And we have moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and Sunday school teachers and aunts and uncles and pastors and kids workers surround this baptism. And for nearly a half hour, we just told the story of these kids who basically said, here's my name, here's my age, here's my story, here's how I met Jesus. And because of what he did for me, now I want to do this for him. God came down and put on flesh to identify with you so you might know who he is. And he very clearly, without, apologize, without apologizing, asks you when you become a follower of Jesus to get baptized to identify with him. It's not the trade in a sense that if you don't, he takes his back. But it is our first step of saying, King Jesus, you are in charge. You don't just have insight, you have authority. You're not just Savior, you're Lord. 
you're not just a role model. You really are God that came down. And if you cared enough about me to identify with me publicly in the world, I want to care enough about you to publicly identify with you in the world. We are closing our ministry in 2021 like we do every year with what we call our Christmas baptisms. On Sunday, December 19th, after our first Sunday in the new building, we will stay after church. I think they've already got double-digit people being baptized, and we'll baptize for hours if we have to, so that anyone in our church who's not been able to identify with Jesus through baptism the way that Jesus identified with him through the incarnation can take that step. In your bulletin, you're going to see this little card that just says 2021 Christmas baptisms. If you didn't grab a bulletin today, this card can be texted right to your phone. If you text your any baptism to 474747, because Jesus came down and identified with us, and he asked us to identify with him through baptism, here's what I'm asking our church this morning, that every Jesus follower who has not publicly identified with Jesus through baptism would take the first step of obedience and say, Jesus, you identified with me now. I want the world to know I identify with you. If you've not done that, it's time. Say, Christian, I'm scared to death, but I'll do it. Maybe not December 19th. I want to talk to someone. Fill out this card. Drop it in the boxes as you go. Text that number. Fill it out. It'll send it to us. And December 19th, just like Jesus put on flesh for you, put on the water symbolizing forgiveness. Go under the water symbolizing the grave. Come out of the water symbolizing eternal life. Identify with Jesus because he identified with us. Hard to believe? Yes. Necessary to receive? Yes. I needed someone to show me who God was. I needed someone to be an example for me of how God wanted me to live. I needed someone perfect to forgive the imperfect of my life. I needed someone who was Jewish and a king so that they could be who God said they were going to be. I needed someone in a world of sin to come and provide salvation. I needed someone who cared about me and someone I could trust to judge me fairly. Jesus did that for us. And what's interesting is right in the middle of telling us Jesus is God, John reminds us that Jesus did it for them. Let me say it again. Jesus did it for us, but he did it for them. You say, who's them? Anyone who doesn't know him yet. Right in the middle of this text of Jesus's word, Jesus is light, Jesus is dwelling. There's this little three verse section that was like, and we need to tell people. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John believed Jesus was God in flesh. So he said, I better tell the world. For those of us who believe God is that Jesus is God in flesh, and that has changed our life, we now get to be John, John the Baptist, and we get to be a witness to that light. And I've got two opportunities for you before... We move hardly a month in the calendar. The first is Christmas. Five Christmas services, Wednesday, December 22, Thursday, the 23rd, Friday, the 24th. Don't come alone at Christmas. The light has come into the world. The word has become flesh. God is here. Not everyone knows that. So right in the middle of telling us all those things, John was like, oh, and God made sure people were aware of that. Please don't come alone at Christmas. Invite a family or friend who needs the hope of Jesus at Christmas. And if they can't come at Christmas, man, bring them back on grand opening or bring them twice. Our official public grand opening because we need to practice a few times. If we show up on December 19th and nothing works, we'll drink some coffee and we'll all go home and we'll try again like at Christmas. Like we don't want to invite the public to the first one just in case nothing works well. But on January 9th, we're hoping we got all the bugs worked out and we're ready to go. 
Who are you going to bring to tell them that Jesus is God who came down? Jesus is God who came down. It's hard to believe. It's necessary to receive. So let's do the work that God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me as we close? Oh, Jesus, the truth of today is hard to believe but necessary to receive. So strengthen our faith to trust you. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus personally, he is the God who came down. Say, Christian, that's hard to believe. I know. But it's necessary to receive because you're looking for God. And you need to know what he wants from you. And you need to know his purpose for your life. And you need to be forgiven. And you need to be guided. And Jesus promises all those things. While it's hard to believe, it's so necessary to receive that faith builds a bridge and says, okay, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, you need to know that he loves you. He lived for you. He died on the cross for your sins so you could be close to God and right with God. And if you've never said yes to Jesus' invitation to be in your life, you can do that today through prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room. You don't have to pray out loud, but from your heart to heaven, if you need Jesus today, you can just pray something like this from your soul. God is listening. Just repeat after me something like this. Jesus, I need you. Just pray it with me today. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. Lead me into my future. Today I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation. And I commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a few moments, I'll tell you how you can let us know you made a spiritual decision so we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you, answer any questions that you might have. I wonder how many Christians as we close in prayer today would say, I struggle with Deuteronomy 29, 29, Christian. I struggle to trust in things I don't understand. And honestly, I kind of struggle to obey in areas that are very, very clear and I need help. If that's you, just tell God what you need. Jesus, that would be our prayer today. That you would help us to trust you more deeply in the secret things that you would help us to obey you more completely in the revealed things. And God, that like John, we might be a witness to the light because God has come down in Jesus and he's brought life to the world. But not everyone knows. So we're tasked with telling them, help us to do that well this month at Journey. We love you and we need you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen.